Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is proudly sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylic paints, mediums, and gesso in the business. They also make core watercolors and Williamsburg oil paints. Based in New Berlin in upstate New York, they're an employee-owned company dedicated to making the best supplies for you to make your best work. Check out their products in just about any art store or at goldenpaints.com. Alan Resnick is a visual artist and director based in Los Angeles. He graduated from SUNY Purchase and works in film and video, with work on platforms from YouTube to Adult Swim. He's a member of the Wham City Arts Collective and has directed music videos for musicians Dan Deacon, Jerry Paper, and Lowered Ends. His video and film has been featured on Adult Swim and recently in the group show Post Analog Studio at the Hole Gallery. I spoke to Alan from his place in Los Angeles. Here's our conversation. Mm-hmm. So, where are you at right now? Where's your place? Uh, I'm in. I'm in LA. You're in LA. That's what I thought. Yeah. But then there's been so much uh, Baltimore talk. Well, I was in Baltimore for like ten years. Yeah. So, and I've only been in LA for two years, and a lot of people think I still live in Baltimore. Right, because. I'm sure it's like one. Th- I think when you're making artwork and you have CVs or bios at galleries, it's pretty, you know, it's like cookie cutter thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems as though once you venture into film or video or TV or anything like that, the it seems like it's even more of a Wild West biography going on out there. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people, you know, are all over the place. Right. And for a while, I, I was trying to do both, but that's not really easy. Well, did you grow up in Baltimore? No, I'm from uh, upstate New York, right outside of Syracuse. And then I moved to Baltimore after college. Yeah. Um, What brought you to Baltimore? There was a lot of people from my school where I went to undergrad at SUNY Purchase Mm -hmm. who ended up in Baltimore because there were cheap warehouse spaces and you could... There's a very good art community there yeah um and music community and so people would rent these crazy warehouse spaces put on wild shows and they only needed like you know a part-time job to survive there because everything was so cheap right which was a a really great place to start making art outside of college yeah well what was it like growing up near syracuse i mean was it pretty rural where you grew up uh it was very suburban Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, and it was you know very boring, um, small town where you know everything's you could run around the neighborhood. Everything was very safe, but also strange. And um, yeah, I think because it was so boring, every little I was like obsessed with every little detail of the small area I could run around in. Right. Like my yard, I knew every little kind of, kind of detail because there was really nothing else to get into. Yeah. Now, did your parents end up in that area because of Syracuse or were they lifers? Yeah. Uh, no, they, they were from like, my dad was from Manhattan and my mom was from uh, Long Island. Um, and they went to school. They, they met at college in Oswego. And uh, I think it, it just, you know, was a pretty pleasant place to settle down and have a family right the escape from new york (laughs) yeah (laughs) which exactly being here for 20 years each year becomes more and more you know you see (laughs) the images of upstate and you have friends who have houses up there and move right and it's that constant balance of like well it seems like it would be like the quality of life would be amazing but then boredom would is the counter to that yeah, I mean, when I was growing up there, we would visit Manhattan every year, and I was just, like, so blown away by that city. And, you know, being from the suburbs, you're just like, all you want to do is live in the city. But I, I see how it's uh, where, you know, the grass is always greener wherever you are. Yeah, well, Baltimore's a negotiable city. I mean, it's got some grit to it, and it's got great museums. Mm-hmm. It's got, you know, you have Micah, you have... You're close to mm-hmm. D.C. The, yeah, like you were saying, the music scene is really great, too. So 
I'm mm-hmm. sure that was an exciting move. Yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely. And it was just exciting to be around the energy of people making things. Right. Um, yeah. Well, what was college and like? It, was yeah. it was it uh, inspiring? Or I mean, is that what did you study? Uh, I was in a fine arts program, and I bounced around. Um, like I could, I never picked a real focus. I was doing photography and and sculpture and screen printing and and digital animation and filmmaking. Like I was kind of trying to take all of it. But as a school, it's kind of like. I, you know, SUNY purchases a state school, and I find that it's often the butt of jokes. <laughs> right. For some reason, because it's, you know, it, it was basically, I could only afford to go to a state school, and that state school had an okay art program, and it really was what you made of it. And I had a lot of friends there who hated it, had a bad experience, didn't didn't feel like they got anything out of it. But I, I had some really great professors, and I felt like it was a really wonderful place to start experimenting and figuring out what kind of an artist I was. Yeah. Um, but it was a strange place because it, it's, it's maybe, you know, an hour, 45 minutes outside of New York, but it was pretty isolating in the woods and it's an all brick campus. There was kind of no color. It was just, every building was brick. It was designed by someone who designed, uh, prisons. So it was kind of designed <laughs> like a prison and it had a really just strange energy. I felt like I met a lot of insane people. Everyone was like kind of stir crazy <laughs> and would it would lead to strange art and destructive behavior. Um, yeah. That sounds like a good cocktail for being creative. <laughs> yeah, I, I I I loved it and I got a lot out of it. I was going to ask if you had like certain professors that you really, you know, were inspiring mm-hmm. or and uh but it sounds like you had those. Were they in certain departments or were, you know, like who was, yeah. the, who were the people? There were two. One was a guy named Greg Locke who kind of got me um, introduced to 3D graphics and like technology. Yeah. And then the other one is a, an artist named Kate Gilmore who um, is a video artist. And she makes, she had these kind of really intense, in endurance-like video sculpture projects where she would like, I remember the one she kind of got known for, she encased her foot in cement and then had to like break her foot out of the cement block. Oh man. Yeah. And so a lot of her videos were like, (laughs) yeah, a lot of her videos were very insane and like, yeah, risky and potentially dangerous. Um, and I, that was kind of my first introduction to that sort of art world because my, you know, growing up, my only real experience with art was just through mainstream TV and comics and, you know, things like that. So to get exposed to this New York crazy art world that was doing this really funny, weird stuff was super inspiring to me. Yeah. Well, now you're out in Chris Berlin land, Burden land, you know, and I'm sure at some point you came across <laughs> yeah. his work and that made sense. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that stuff was in college. And I, I remember um, hearing about maybe Vito Acconci's work was yeah. one of the first sculptures, uh, like performance artist kind of people that I learned about in college where I was just like, oh, this is this is crazy. People are doing really in- insane things. Um yeah, that hits hard. Of, I feel like everyone yeah. who hears those Vito Acconci performance stories is like, wait a minute, you can do right. that? <laughs> right, exactly. And and I always had a, uh, an attraction to uh, intense things and strange things and funny things. So it immediately opened my mind. Like, you know, I think I, ca- I came into college as trying to be an illustrator and mm-hmm. just making like um, drawings of cartoon characters, like, you know, basically Ren and Stimpy knockoffs and things like that. And yeah, then, yeah. And then uh, I had always, you know, in high school made weird things, but I didn't know there was a place for it. And then, he, yeah, hearing about artists like that, I was like, oh, it, it is okay to uh, just make crazy performances. Right. It's funny how that kind of, I guess it's somewhat of a punk ethos can manifest itself yeah. in so many different ways. I mean, so many, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the people that I talk to of a certain generation, like my generation, maybe a little bit you know, younger than me grew up with skateboarding and I was just like the entryway to doing something yep. counter to what you felt like was the norm. 
mm-hmm. nowadays it seems, I mean, there's so many different avenues to get that out, whether it's scenes, whether it's comics or whether it's, you know, like perform it, like certain musicians that you would see. And, and they were doing these performative elements of like a live show that you were like, wow, you could do that too. You know, that kind of manifests yeah. itself in so many different ways, but there's so many avenues to, but it's like that core wanting to just do something slightly weird. Like the first time I saw Jackass, I was like, Oh my God, that's, that was like every skate video we wanted to make, but we just weren't totally. that good. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny. My um, professor, Kate Gilmore, the fi- the video artist I was telling you about, you know, she was in all these museums and, you know, um, the Whitney Biennial and things like that. But she would always say that one of her biggest influences was Jackass, <laughs> which, you know, is so funny when you think of how, you know, fancy those kind of museum establishments are and then how kind of trashy something like Jackass is considered. Right, but then like Vito Acconci could, is, you know, the the parallel between Johnny Knoxville and Vito Acconci <laughs> can be drawn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I don't think he and Steve-O are getting the same credit, the museum credit that, <laughs> that those guys are getting. Yeah, no, not yet. But it's all in how you frame it, right? Like, I look at someone like Chris Ware. I've always loved Chris Ware's comics. And then when he was in the Whitney Biennial, I was like, oh, that makes sense. You know, it just seems like right. it's the context of it, you know? Yeah, it does. But I, I also, uh, you know, the opposite of that is like, I remember, maybe it's not the opposite, but I remember when there was like a show of all Tim Burton work at like yeah. MoMA or something. And I remember getting like really annoyed, but it's probably just because I don't like Tim Burton. <laughs> right but it was like the sellout of it all or something you know uh, yeah i was like you i was like i there's certain things you can put into a museum context and it elevates it and then there's for me at least putting that in a museum context i was like well this just makes the museum look like terrible right yeah just trying but to get people again, in the door yeah but i think that might just be because i don't like timber right i felt that way about the armani show and i was you know i think it's just because i don't like armani mm-hmm. right right <laughs> Right. Um, so, so getting out of school and, you know, moving to, to Baltimore, when did the, all the, I guess the film was a heavy influence as far as the making part of it, but how did the logistics of it turn into something that you felt like you were going to spend like a lot of time? I mean, I know you did other things like do some performances and comedy and stuff, but how did you kind of navigate, you know, this impetus in your head to like do this stuff and then the format that it was like going to come out in? Um, it came from, you know, leaving college or in college experimenting with video, um, that, you know, like I said, I had bounced around from all these different departments and the video stuff was the thing that got me most excited. Um, the, just the medium of it, I think, um, in that I could like, I always wanted to do something with comedy. I always felt drawn to comedy and with videos especially in an art context, I found that was an entryway to be funny. Um, I would go out with cameras and make really silly videos in college, and those would get a bigger response than maybe the kind of drier, fine art video that other students were making. Right. Um, and through that, at Purchase, I met other people making strange videos um, who I just wanted to be friends with and collaborate with. So I, mo- I ended up moving to Oakland before I moved to Baltimore. Um, to work with my friend Ben O'Brien and Aaron Gleason, who had this puppet show, this like early early YouTube crazy green screen like puppet show, um, and it was it was just interesting to see people making these crazy videos on the internet. And now I think there's tons of stuff like this, but at the time I had I hadn't seen much like it, so I, w- I was really excited by it, and I was excited to work with them. And then a bunch of other people who are older than me from Purchase, like Dan Deacon and, and uh, Dina Kelberman, all were in Baltimore doing their crazy stuff under the name Wham City. Yeah. Um, and, and so then Ben moved to Baltimore, and I was living in San Francisco for a while trying to find an art scene, trying to figure it out, and I, did, I just didn't, nothing was connecting. I didn't like it. And then I visited Baltimore, and I I just knew all these people who were making this crazy stuff. And I was like, all right, I'll just move here and be part of this. Um, and it, yeah, it was through that. That's where the comedy and the films making stuff really started to mesh just because I had the support of friends and like 
people who I looked up to who were who were making crazy stuff that it was fun to show work with. You know, yeah. they were putting on gallery shows of experimental things and they liked what I was doing so they would put it together and then through that they they had the the group Wham City had this annual music performance festival called Wartscape, um, which, you know, was all kind of volunteer run and I started working on one of those and got to perform some comedy routine I had I never performed really live but I had this crazy idea for this virtual like um, motion capture comedy routine and I performed it there at this big theater for the first time and that's kind of how I got like you know into doing live performance yeah it's funny how it's a long answer it's funny how the internet can kind of close in the world in a way you know you share thing with people so easily, mm-hmm. but you still need that core of community, I think, as a creative person to like feel like, okay, these people get it, or you know, there's a sports system there for it. You know what I mean? And yeah. I imagine Baltimore is such a, I mean, Baltimore seems like a town that's just like got like John Waters blood under it or something, you know, like just <laughs> boiling and bubbling, and there's like a, an, an okayness to be outside. I mean, the Outsider Museum yeah. there is incredible. Right. It just has yeah, a absolutely. feeling of like, you know, you can, and I'm sure, like you were saying, low rents and an ability to be yep. there without having like, you know, not like New York where it's almost impossible to afford anything. You know, you can kind right. of like do your thing. So many bands that come out of the D.C. area, too, I feel like had that, you know, environment of that community. I mean, I used to go down mm-hmm. to D.C. to peop- see like Fugazi and Unwound and bands like that. And it just had that feeling of like, you know, Girls Against Boys, they could play that kind of music. It's not going to be, you know the big sellers or whatever well they ended up being huge but you know what i mean right. there was a yeah a cultivated underground scene there absolutely and you know the music scene also had this they had the success outside of the city um where they would get you know well known like their you know bands like future islands and beach house and yeah dan deacon um and they had an infrastructure of touring you know they, the, all those bands would be like well these are how we make money we go to these cities and we play these shows and uh, for my friends in baltimore who didn't have music skill we were and you know myself included i was always kind of jealous of that ability to perform like that and that lifestyle and to make money that way so we started performing our comedy performance art stuff and our you know the weird video stuff we started to basically mining that knowledge of how to tour and going on tours um, and playing the same venues, playing like music venues and, and things like that, DIY spaces. How'd it go over? Uh, mixed, but <laughs> in general, it was really well. You know, you'd get, you'd get some weird spots. You'd, like, you know, we ha- I have some horror stories of playing in people's uh, living rooms to like three people. Um, <laughs> but, but... Ultimately, like the only reason I have had any success making like TV or video on a higher level is because of those really DIY comedy tours that we were doing from Baltimore, because, you know, people saw that and then asked us to pitch things and things like that. Right. No, I think that's it's so it's funny because, you, you know, I was in a band and we played some shows early on to like a handful of people. And in a way, it's completely depressing, but at the same time, it's really like <laughs> character building. You know what I mean? And that's where you oh, can yeah. try things out. And it's almost like drawing as opposed to painting, where it's like you're freer to just make mistakes and you feel less constricted. Yeah. I mean, we played a lot of shows that were horrible to, in restaurants. And it, yeah, it, freeing is the word because it was like, well, there's no way these people are going to like it. So I'm going to have fun. But <laughs> right. the, the, the most. The way I got the most comfortable with performance was I went on tour with a band called Lower Dens that I had some friends who were in, and they asked me to open for this band on like a full U.S. tour and do my comedy routine, which was like kind of a, you know, I did this infomercial called Live Forever As You Are Now, Mm -hmm. um, where I talked to like a, a CGI head of myself, and that was originally this performance I would do live on stage, a little bit of a like vaudeville talk, talking to a dummy kind of thing but yeah. anyways i went on tour with this band not really just being excited to have an opportunity to perform but not really thinking about it when i said yes and that band 
they're they were they're kind of a you know uh sad is the wrong word but very you know mild mellow music it's not a comedy audience is what i'm trying right, to say there right, were people right. who were there to listen to mood, moody music and every sh- opening up with like really goofy comedy to this moody band was such a like intense experience where basically every day no matter how big the crowd was i knew they did not want to see comedy right. so it very quickly became about like okay well they're gonna hate it so i'm just gonna see if i can make one person laugh or make myself laugh um and then i was never really uncomfortable on stage after that yeah i mean and that's like you know when you hear the stories of comedians when they first start out and they're you know it's they're in these clubs in the middle of nowhere and they just they feel like they're going up against an army you know it's like oh if i can just get off stage alive (laughs) (laughs) i mean people would people would like yell at me like play a song and it's just like oh god <laughs> well i, I saw you know i've seen some of those videos of those performances there's a couple online and, and i love in mm-hmm. the comment section where people are like oh man if i would have known this was out like if i would have known who this dude was back then i would have mm-hmm. stayed for the show <laughs> <laughs> oh well yeah so well you, <laughs> you cut your teeth doing that i feel like it seems as though this the video work that you're doing seemed perfectly well i don't know if it was perfectly but it seemed really well aligned to like this 24-hour you know networks that are willing to show you know some more experimental stuff in a way that kind mm-hmm. of got you out there i'm sure in a different way right yeah then yeah you, i mean we uh, yeah i was lucky to have an opportunity to work with a network that was going to give me any money to do anything because i didn't really have a resume that would you know, I I didn't study film or anything like that. So it was definitely a risk for anyone to give me money to make anything. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so this guy, Dave Hughes, who has worked at Adult Swim for years, he has a show called Off the Air, which is a bit of a like for it, you know, it aired like really late at night. I think I think it airs at 4 a.m. And it would just be like a mashup of all these crazy animations and videos he would find. But he, he would see our group performing, and he was like, you guys should pitch something, maybe an infomercial. Um, and it was, yeah, a very interesting opportunity to get to it, a much larger audience that normally wouldn't you know be in these DIY venues to see this weird comedy we were doing. And I was just really interested in the fact that it was going to air at 4 a.m. Um, <laughs> Who's awake just, then, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and my experience with watching TV at that hour is already insane. Like, I'm in a hotel or something, right. and I can't sleep, or I'm at home, I can't sleep, um, and I'm just flipping through channels. So it was really a great audience, a very nice audience that would never choose to see what we were showing them. Um, and, it, yeah, you could really do something to mess with them a little bit. Um so, but that's really what got my my brain thinking of like, what, yeah, what would I want to see if I was awake at that hour? What would really have an effect on me? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting too because they were playing a lot of really great music bumpers and stuff. Like Flying Lotus was doing, you know, and a mm-hmm. bunch of those LA guys were doing like a lot of great sound snippets and stuff for that. So you, yep. it's, I'm imagining the audience is pretty diverse in that sense too. Like you're pulling in from a lot of other people who might not like. Let's say you were just showing those videos in a gallery somewhere. It's a totally different audience, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, because, you know, out of college, I just wanted to make stuff. I was just excited to make stuff. And I, because I went to an art school, like the gallery world was where I assumed I would be showing things. That would be the context that I would show things. Um, But, you know, if you're not independently wealthy, you kind of just have to like follow opportunity and you know, I never would have thought to pitch to a TV network, but that was the opportunity that came and it ended up being such an interesting, different audience than, yeah, a, a New York audience that knows to go to Chelsea on these days and goes, go look at a gallery. Right. This was, yeah, really anyone who has TV, who has cable, who's, now, what, who can't sleep. Yeah. Was that, was that happening parallel when you were first showing those to like the sort of deluge of video content on the internet or was that not quite happening yet um yeah i think i think that was 
happening around the same time. So it just it basically as opposed to, you know, just posting stuff on your own site or on YouTube, you're garnering a different audience because it's on television, right? Yeah, I I, I guess at the at the same time I was posting, I was posting stuff online, sometimes hiding my identity and just posting as like fake people, or you know, um, it had a similar the stuff I was posting online I think had a similar energy to the prank nature of post of putting something on television that maybe shouldn't be there that felt like yeah it was a it was a bit of a prank subverting the medium Mm -hmm. hopefully yeah i mean the the stuff that i've seen there's so much more online i mean i can't you know i wasn't up at 4 a.m watching adults (laughs) you know i was i don't even (laughs) watch a a tremendous amount of tv but like encountering things online through video snippets and stuff is you know it, nowadays it's just how you encounter things I feel like you get sent a link mm-hmm. and check this out it's like a mixtape from back in the day but it's just a different it's like a link mixtape or something yeah totally and I remember so much I, I remember seeing the uh, I think it's called digital painting is it called digital mm-hmm. painting yeah yeah which yeah. that piece was really really interesting to me because it was like a combination I know I remember when I went to MoMA when I was a student like in an undergraduate school just starting and I went to see uh, Paul McCarthy's painter video. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. 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 But I love that video. I mean, it just blew my mind. I, I was like, what yeah, in too. the hell is this? <laughs> and intrigued and frightened at the same time. And yeah. Yeah. It's almost like put with a video with no words, put the entire hierarchy of like painting into question and made me feel weird and violated at the same time. <laughs> but when right. I when I yes. saw your video, it, I felt like there was a dialogue there. You know, it just reminded me of that, but it was totally different. I don't know if I was thinking about that when I was making it. I know that that video and just work like that had a big impact on me just because of like you're saying watching it made you feel feel kind of crazy. Yeah. Um and I was really impressed by anything any kind of video, you know, because because you see so many videos, because I watch video online all, all day, um, it's very rare for anything to actually make you feel something. And for yeah, a video like that where there's no dialogue, you just it's just all energy and movement. You just like it just makes you feel crazy. Um, so I I feel like I'm always trying to get get to that point. And with that video that you're talking about, I don't know. I I don't think I was thinking that but i was i was making a lot of work about technology uh making kind of poking fun at technology at at like hollywood graphics um and the techniques that are used in hollywood graphics and the pretentiousness of those kind of painter videos like um you know the jackson pollock video or something Um, right where you know any kind of watching the artist work thing i thought was kind of funny and often felt a little pretentious um, right and i yeah that that was when i was in i was briefly in grad school at hunter in new york but i stopped i dropped out to pursue the tv stuff because that they were happening simultaneously yeah the irony of now in social media there's so many like painters who get a big following because they're <laughs> posting just videos of themselves painting time lapses yeah and, it's, a, it's like of drawing like Bob Marley or something. Exactly. And it's like reverted to this kind of, I remember, you know, you would see those drawings where people show you tutorials, like through pictures of how to draw something representational and you'd be like, that's really kind of <laughs> cheesy. But now that's hitting really big. It's like, there's a million videos on social media on Instagram where you can watch someone draw an eyeball and everyone's like amazed. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. This is tapping into that. It's funny though. I thought there was a parallel after watching some of the music videos you've done. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like the Dan Deacon and I feel like film for me, I came to film in a really unconventional kind of non, you know, like art school, you know, I was going to art school and like some of the teachers would be like, Oh, you should look at this person. And, you know, I'm, I'm no expert in film, but I was gravitated to a certain imagery and like Koyana Scotsi was a huge one for me. Mm -hmm. And then when I found Godard and like watched weekend and stuff like that, it had a huge impact, you know, and I was wondering if those were like how, what kind of films were you watching and what were you, what was resonating? Cause you didn't go to film school necessarily, but I'm sure you were digging into a lot of film. 
I don't remember. I think I I wasn't like watching a lot of art movies. I mean, Koyanis Gatsi certainly stands out, but I think in yeah, I I think much more of my influences were or the things that were exciting me were coming out of the fine art world that were video art uh projects. Um and I really wasn't aware of you know those important films. Um and I I'm still pretty bad about going back and watching some of those things, even though I know I would like them or I know they're important, but I don't like really have that list of films that influenced me. It's much, yeah, more the, the art, the fine art stuff. Yeah. It's funny. The only reason I have any film knowledge is because when I was in undergraduate school, the video store on campus had like a 25 cent rental of this Mm -hmm. was back in the days of VHS. So you could get, you know, basically like four movies a night for a dollar. And I would yeah, just like yeah. work my way through the class. And it was all like the classics, you know, like the new mm-hmm. releases, which I didn't really care about were more expensive, but I would just move through those old ones. But there were so many, you know, key kind of like movies that you don't realize it until much later. But nowadays, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would do that because there's so much content, you know, it, there's so yep. much going on right now that how do you mine the past as much as you might have when you were bored and didn't have access to all this stuff? Right. Yeah. I mean, I often sit down trying to watch something, you know, like an important film or something like an art movie that is good. Uh, But it's a lot easier to just put on some really lazy mainstream show just to relax. So it's, it's hard for me to pick the thing that will, that I know I will like better that will, but will be a little bit more effort on my brain. Right. Well, who were the, some of the video artists, like the fine art video artists that were pretty inspiring to you? Um, I think we, we touched on some of them, but um, I remember the early like William Wegman videos really affected me. Yeah. I really liked those. Um, yeah. So who did we, what, who were we talking about? Um, well, oh, George Kuchar was one that really, mm-hmm. I really liked. Um did you ever see you those know, I, the old the uh, the artist Alex Bag? Have you ever seen those I know video that name, pieces? But I, what I I might know the I'm really bad at names, but I might know the They're just um, like portrait the they're work. just people talking on camera, but it's it's kind of, you know, tweaked. Mm-hmm. Like everything's just a little kind of off in an interesting way. But I remember early on mm-hmm. seeing those and being I mean, it weren't too I feel like when it came to video art because when I got out of school and started and moved to the city and started seeing more video art, because I feel like you w- didn't see it until you went to galleries, because then the internet really wasn't jumping it, you know. Yeah. And it was so prescriptive; like there were only there wasn't that much, and it was really mm-hmm. heavy-handed most of the time, like Bill Viola, like epic video pieces, you know. Oh right, yeah, <laughs> I remember seeing those. Sure. Yeah, and then it kind yeah. of started to morph into, you know, more playful or the more humor involved and it it seemed like it kind of branched out from there yeah i i I really liked mike smith do you do you remember him no i don't know mike smith uh he was making these kind of humorous videos where he would play a a character named mike that, that that i i can't even really remember some of these videos but i remember just the like energy of them really cracking up he would work with mike kelly a lot yeah um he had one character where he was like he wore a big diaper and would go around as a baby. Um, yeah, but Mike, Mike Smith was someone who I really liked. That sounds good. Well, so how did you make the transition from uh, moving to Baltimore to L.A.? What was that, the impetus for that? Mm-hmm. We, I, I had been in, in Baltimore for, for a while, and all of like the, the people who I was collaborating with, had been there for a really long time and we kept coming to LA to pitch things and do work. Um, and I think we were all just like ready to have a change because we didn't really know what to do in Baltimore anymore. Um, I think part of that was just because we were getting older. Um, my girlfriend who is also an artist who has collaborated on a lot of the TV stuff, um, had been in Baltimore kind of her whole, or had been in Maryland for most of her life. And so she was just like really ready. And before being in Baltimore, I moved around a lot. Like I, I was, would only be in a a place for a year or, or less. And I missed moving. Um, 
Yeah, and we'd come out here for work. It was just so, it was productive and it was nice and it just felt like the right the right thing to do. Um, and it has been very good. Yeah, I was going to say it must have, I can imagine it totally changed just the landscape itself and then, you know, the yep. community. How has it kind of changed the way that you're working? Um, well, I'm not sure yet because it's still in the process of changing it, but... Um, I think a lot of East Coast people feel this way where it's like uh, because the the East Coast can be so oppressive and hard and cold and brutal um, that it's like, well, that's part of my identity. That's something I need to be productive or creative. Um, And then when you move to the West Coast and it's just unbelievably pleasant, people seem lazy um, because they go to the beach a lot. Um, and so there's like a fear like, oh no, I, I don't deserve to be in a nice place and I will, uh, I will become lazy. Um, but I hope that's not happening. Um, I don't know how it's changed my work. I've always had my, the way I've worked has always changed because, you know, sometimes when I, when I used to move a lot, I would never have like a studio space. So I was always working digitally. And then when I was in Baltimore, I was able to have a studio space where I was able to accumulate a lot of garbage and have that, that way of working. Um, and so, you know, in Baltimore, I also had a crew of people, you know, I knew someone who was good at sound. I knew someone who was a a lighting person and, you know, I basically would have this team built around producing videos where, here I know all those, obviously it's a city built on the film industry and there's so many people who do those things, but I don't personally know all of them yet. Um, so I'm, I feel like I'm taking a step back in terms of video making where it's like when I used to make videos, I would just go out with a tripod and a camera and myself and try to figure something out. And obviously here there's an industry around it, but I still feel like, well, maybe I'm going back to trying to figure out this like early way of making videos that I did in college where I would just go make videos by myself until I can find the team, I guess. Right. Yeah. Because it's, it's funny because that seems like moving to an area like near Hollywood where there's so much of that going on, but then making it a little more taking, taking it back to like you and a camera is interesting. But I would, I would, well, it's, yeah. I was just going to say, I imagine that there were potentially be a lot more collaborative kind of like things, possibilities maybe on the horizon. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot more professional opportunities to make things with a budget, to make projects where there's some funding behind it. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's like, it's a, it's because it's a city built on film everyone is so much more savvy about it. So like in Baltimore, you could go basically anywhere and be like, Hey, can I film in your business or your house? I don't have any money. And they'd be like, yes, of course we would love that. <laughs> and, and you can't do that here. Everyone's right. like, if you're caught outside with a camera, you'll get like arrested. <laughs> you'll have to pay somebody. Yeah. And like asking someone to film in their house will cost you a million dollars. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. And Bal- in Baltimore is very DIY. So no one's, there's no union, you know, no one I knew was in like any actor's guild or director's guild or anything, but here it's harder to put together a small project. It has to be a fund, a well-funded big project where everyone can get like union rates. Right. Well, how, how's the music community changed? Cause you're still into music, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, how's the music uh, scene changed? Um, I haven't experienced a ton since I've been out here, but um, I've definitely met a lot of interesting music people there's definitely a a unique music scene um i recently made a music video for this artist jerry paper mm-hmm. who i really like um but i'm still trying to you know experience it and see what's happening yeah and are you have you kind of hung up the cleats on uh performing stand-up or doing any comedy shows are you still ha- is that still in your repertoire <laughs> uh I, I still do it when people ask <laughs> um <laughs> I still enjoy performing comedy, but um, it's like any idea. It, it's I, I usually have the idea, try to dictate the medium. There's two ways of, of making things that I usually end up going with where it's like either I'll have an idea 
and I'll think, well, well, is this an idea for a comic or is this an idea for a video or is this idea for, you know, a live performance and let the idea kind of dictate that. And then the opposite is also true where sometimes someone will be like, hey, do you want to do this? Do yeah. you want to put out a, an audio tape or this or that? And then I'll think of an idea that would be, you know, like the 4 a.m. thing where the opportunity was a TV show at 4 a.m. Okay, well, what what would be an interesting thing to do there? Um, right. So, yeah, currently I'll do I, – I have an idea that I'm trying to make into a larger comedy performance, but I don't know how long that will take and then – it, you know, occasionally people ask me to do shows and I'll do some, some insane, stupid thing. I was going to say, it'd be fun to see you in LA on an open mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's plenty out there. Little, yeah. I'm a little afraid to try it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's such a, I mean, it's such a huge comedy scene there and there's such a infrastructure for it. Yeah. That's been, been nice since I've moved out. I've done several shows and it is, you, you know, Performing comedy in a small town. I mean, Baltimore's not a small town. It's a city, but it's like this comedy scene was relatively small, where it's like we knew everyone who was doing comedy well, I guess. Um, And if you did a show, you'd know you'd have, you know, at least five friends in the audience. Here, it's interesting to be put on shows and everyone, yeah, because it's this giant city of talent, of people who are trying to pursue careers in talent. Like every you'll do these comedy shows with like, yeah, either people you recognize, people you're already a fan of or just people who are extremely talented. Yeah. And it's it's overwhelming, but it's also, you know, a nice change. Yeah, I can imagine. You feel like you're in the, you know, in the belly of it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, so what are the do you have any projects that you're working on now or anything that you can talk about as far as things that you're doing? Um. Well, we're I'm performing with the comedy group from Baltimore who've all moved here, uh, Wham City Comedy, at the Adult Swim Festival uh, in like a couple weeks. Nice. Um, and then I have a bunch of projects that are in like early stages that aren't really anywhere worth talking about. Right. Yet. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm hopefully just trying to get stuff made. Um, and trying to make things, like I said, the way that I used to, where I don't really need to wait for approval or budget. Um, so many ideas. It, it's frustrating going from, yeah, like the art school. I have an idea. I'm going to go do the idea however I can to the now. It's like, well, now I have to write the idea down before it really exists and ask someone to give me money for it right um and and that has been kind of a frustrating not it's not a bad experience i mean when it works out it's great to have resources to make the idea the way you want it but it will hold things up it just takes so much longer so that that by the time you actually get to make the thing you're like well i had that idea a year ago now i have to check in and see where it is and it, it it's frustrating and it's sometimes you're just like i just need to go make something yeah i can't imagine i mean part of you know, in the visual arts, part of the, there's not that many payoffs as far as like the logistics of things, <laughs> but right, part right. of it is that you could just go to your studio and knock something out. You know what I mean? Whereas, you know, having to wait a year to realize or even more to realize a sort of vision about something seems so difficult to, you know, mm-hmm. to time that out and to wait it out. Yeah. So I, I like to think of it in terms of sketchbook versus like a finished painting. Um, so I like to give myself lots of sketchbook projects, something that I can just go, yeah, go into my studio and film something or draw something or make a sculpture. And I don't really have to be precious about it or care. And, and maybe I just, I can throw it up online, even something as like an Instagram story or something that is just like, well, I just need to make something, um, to, to keep that part of my brain moving. And then those sketchbooks lead to ideas that turn into these bigger things that could be a you know tv project or a movie project right um and those projects yeah take take can take years yeah i guess that happens too i mean i'll i'll make sketches and then i'll make a group a painting or two and then that's like oh there's a bigger idea out of these and then it can right turn into a group of work that then a year later could be shown somewhere so I guess there's that turnover of time no matter what you're doing, really. But yeah, yeah, nowadays it's just a lot easier to spit out those ideas online, you know, and get some immediate feedback. Which is nice. And that's closer to 
like the live performance where you can try something on stage and immediately get a response. Um, and I feel like social media and just throwing stuff on the internet is, is, is a very similar thing. It's like a throwaway joke, but maybe it gets a response and sparks a, a larger idea. Right. Definitely. Well, I, I mean, I admire what you did because I think right now I'd probably go to the beach after I was done with this. If I could, <laughs> if I could, I mean that, that siren of nice weather and like sand in between your toes sounds so nice. I'm sure it's that uh, it's been good for your overall. <laughs> it's definitely, yeah, definitely been good for mental health. Um, yeah. and yeah, it is, it is really nice to be able to like, yeah, I'm going to go to the mountains. Like I can drive to the mountains and there's, you know, snow in the mountains or I could drive the other direction and go to the beach. So that's pretty nice. Yeah, definitely. And so for people, when they want to see what you're up to is the best way kind of like on Instagram, on YouTube or the website, like how do, how do people navigate? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Instagram and Twitter are usually where I'll post about new things the most. I, you know, I'll update my website, but I'm not great about that. Um, I'm kind of all over the place with that stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of a collage. I mean, that's when I was like looking through things, it was kind of a little bit here, a little bit there, but it's kind of fun to go through that, you know, searching for Mm -hmm. those things. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I try to try to keep it clean on my website, but, um, yeah, need to be better at organizing it. No, no, it's all, it's all super interesting stuff. I mean, I saw the show at the hole and it was really cool to see that video and in person and, um, I hope oh, to see, cool. yeah, I hope to see more stuff in the galleries too over here because it's, you know, it's a, it's yeah. a really cool environment to see it. And, and these different channels are all have their own sort of perks and benefits and it's cool to see it in all those different ways. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, I'd love to do more gallery stuff. I, cause I love going and seeing work in that context, but it's, yeah, I I haven't been pursuing it. So it's similar to the stand-up thing or the comedy thing. It's like, well, when people ask, I'm happy to do right, it. But right. it's, it, you really have to dedicate your life to trying, you know, to pursuing that stuff. Right, for sure. Well, um, thanks again for taking all this time. It's great to, to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. Thanks.